Hi, everybody. You are about to hear an interview that Jacob and myself did with Doug Lane, former freelance publisher, I guess, of Zero Books, but more importantly, former, what, almost like soul, damn near soul creator of the Zero Books YouTube, YouTube channel and a social media poster of some repute, either good or ill. Jacob, how do you think it went? I think it went great. I think we learned a lot, and I think we got some other important takes, like, uh, is Dave Chappelle problematic, and what's the deal with Dune? So, yeah, a lot of, uh, so, yeah, we, we, we hit upon the, the, uh, the, yeah, we cover, on the show, we cover all of the hot pop cultural and social economic topics here, so stay tuned for that. And we get to find out what the future holds for Mr. Lane. Yep. He, he laid out, uh, some things about his, this new little, uh, adventure he has started up. And so you might want to stay tuned for that. Just to let you know that, actually, I'm not going to plug the Patreon. I pause that thing because it's like we're, our, our record, you know, this show is now like so irregular. I don't want to make, you know, hit anybody up for money. So I will just say, if, well, once, you know, folks, we, uh, we grow our listenership from listeners like you, you know, letting other people know about what we do. We don't have the most regular of, of publishing schedules, but we try to at least do our small contribution to the discourse and, or I guess you could call it the movement or something like that. Yeah. If you have any questions or comments, you can always find find us at we are at giving the mic on Facebook and YouTube. That's G I V I N G T H E M I C, which rhymes, and I never realized that before. But yeah, all right. And without further ado, this is our our nice little chat with Mister Doug Lane, novelist and publisher, and now new, <laughs> yes, he's he's now a new media guy. We've we think we've we've landed on that, but. Anyway, thanks, folks, and here we go. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Doug, you remember Jacob? Jacob Doug? Hello. Hello. It's been, uh, shit, I don't know, what, three years, I think? Has it been that long, really? Or two? I don't know. When's the last time I was on? What did we talk about? That would let's see. The first one was talking about UFOs. No. Wait, what was no, it? The first one was we talked about one. zero books, and the second one I, we talked about UFOs. And then I never got back asked back again because I was too much of a UFO skeptic. So I think it what happened. Well, that and, that, I, and I, I think I think recent history has also clearly demonstrated you to be wrong on that particular issue. So, well. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I don't think so, because I was a skeptic about Otters. the abductions, not about yeah. the the sighting. And the the I was just I was so excited about the uh, revelations that were supposed to come from the from the Pentagon. You know that, that, that there was going to be a big reveal, and then what they revealed was uh, basically that they didn't know what the things were, and more study was needed. So yeah, I, I was disappointed in that. I really thought maybe we'd get like. The day of our dreams were like, well, it turns out they have been visiting us, and here they are, and they come out and get speech next to yeah. uh, Biden. That would have been awesome. I really would have. I wanted it to be. The uh, I wish I, I could was, do. I wish I could. I wish I had uh, James Adomian's powers of doing release the documents, McMahon, or something. I can't. I can't do his. Uh, I can't do his his Ventura. But I mean, well, we did have a we did have a slightly related follow up. But that was myself, my 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 buddy, and also <laughs> current DSA co chair Luis Ben Burgess and other and, and another friend talking about because I think at the end of. I think one of the one of the ending. I think the, yeah, it was like during the uh, one of the fir- first times we had Ben Burgess on the show. He mentioned that he was really into X Files, and I remember uh, Louisa chirped up about that. And then one point she's like, "Well, shit! If we, you know, if you said that, we would have. We should just talk. You could have talked for two hours about X Files." So I had so later that late, later that year, I went back. And then we they and then they wound up talking for two hours about the X Files. All right, right. And about how. uh Kind of, you know, the, just the the weird, well, not weird, but very, 
that very, I guess you could, I'm trying to think of the, the not quite Californian ideology, but it's very much like that, that kind of like 80s, the, like the 80s hacker ethic that kind of spread to conspiracism that went, that went into 90s Mulder that somehow, you know, through, you know, that's just by him finding out the information that what, you know, it's like just through disclosure, all of these things, or, you know, just by, yeah, through disclosure, all of these, all of these problems would be, you know, the secrets would be revealed and, and, you know, the power, the towers of power would topple like the end of, like the end of Fight Club. And, you know, humanity would be liberated just by people admitting that, oh yeah, we, we kind of know something about the, that weird shit in the sky. Mm. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I, I, um, wish that the UFOs had landed and I, I ready for all humanity to be toppled by the revelation. It's coming. This is just the first step. They're doing okay. a gradual disclosure where they're going to just slowly, you know, let us learn piece by piece what's really going on. Cause they're, they're going to say next, like, you know, we, we know that it's not terrestrial and they're going to go, well, and we've met some of them and they're going to say, and we have some technology and they're going to say, oh, and by the way, they're from an alternate dimension, and they steal souls, and we've been trading souls to them for the last 50 years. You know, it's a gradual process. You can't dump this on people all at once. That would suck, man. I, I hope it would explain a lot, though. Uh, I'm trying to think of what would be, which would be funnier, the flying saucers arriving during tr- the Trump years or during the Biden years? <clears throat> or if it's kind of like just, it would be ludicrous in just two different directions. What would the different directions be? I don't know. Well, Biden not really either being being able to handle it and or admit it, and Trump just using it as uh, like just Im- immediately like rolling with it in, in the style that he did of like of course, and you know, and it's like you know we, we've heard a lot about them, and you know you're going to be hearing a, a lot more. You know, we're, we're looking into it a lot, and you're, you're going to be hearing a lot more very soon. All right, so welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen, friends and newcomers, and off points in betweens, or as they say, uh, guys and gals and non-binary pals, to yet another irregularly scheduled episode of Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. I am your host and uh, friend, Jeremy, here with a co-hosts and old friends to bring you yet another slice of entertainment on this frigid Monday evening here in the foul year of our Lord 2021 in the Pacific Northwest. Joining me tonight is uh, our friend Jacob. J- Jacob, please say hello to the nice people. Hi, I'm really excited to be here because I've got a book I want to pitch, so... Excellent. Oh. Looking forward to that. It's uh, that's that's a that's quite a quite a topical quite a t- you know that's gr- you know great timing on this and the the person he would be well he would have been pitching it to is our guest for this evening guest number one please reveal your name to the viewing audience. My name is Douglas Lane and I'm the former publishing manager freelance publishing manager for Zero Books which was owned by John Hunt Publishing and now is owned by Watkins Publishing. Who's Watkins named after? Anyway, is it just some like was it just some like pu- an actual person or just some like English publishing house? I don't know. Hmm. I, I should find out. But yeah, so that's that's why I'm here. Actually, is because I have I'm kind of trying to make announcements, go out and kind of do some PR to let people know that I'm still around, even though after a dispute, Watkins has uh, taken over the YouTube channel and Patreon that I used to run as a freelancer and i have i have relinquished my rights after a legal dispute to those channels and then that patreon did you at least so, did you at least nab the membership roles before they th- threw you out of the building i am not at liberty to discuss that ah all right then <laughs> but i will say that, that since i left i started a new patreon and at the moment about half of the patrons that were on the Zero Books Patreon have followed me over, and I'm hoping more will will follow and come because I'm going to continue to um, make videos and podcasts. And also, I'll announce here for the first time, it'll be the first to hear this, I am going to start my own media company and publishing house. We have received offers of investment who are interested in being published. We have a list of books that we've already got slated for their first year. The first book is going to be by Todd McGowan, who is a... Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. I've listened to his pod a couple times. Yeah, Todd McGowan's book, Emancipation After Hegel, is a popular book. He also wrote a book called Capitalism and Desire. The book that's going to be coming out with us in the spring of 2022 is called Enjoying Right and Left. And I think of it as a book that will kind of define the new media company, which is called Diet Soap Media. Diet Soap is a podcast that I 
originally did, starting in 2009, returning to it, <clears throat> and starting a, a book publishing company and a media company to do podcasts, YouTube videos, books, and a journal, and possibly short films, or actually feature like documentary films. What we're hoping to do, like 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 like, uh, like YouTube essays or actual features. Well, actual or depends. Okay, same, but I mean, we'll obviously do YouTube essays for sure. But that's definitely going to happen. But right before I left, I had started working on a documentary about Are You Serious's book, The Freaks in the Machine. I had made a short, a 22-minute short, and submitted it to the Slam Dance Film Festival. My goal is to make a feature-length documentary out of one of the books that we put out every year. I'm not sure I'll hit that in 2022 or not, but I have people who are wanting to work with me on that. And so we've got a lot in the works that will be coming out, you know, in, in the next, in the first year. But the main thing is <clears throat> for sure, Tom McGowan's book, Enjoying Right and Left, which is about trying to overcome the way that a sort of regressive culture has gripped the left primarily, although, you know, a critique of the right is included. But the, the idea here is that we need to stop enjoying our stasis and escape from the, the, kinds of desires that actually keep us standing still excellent and also i'll give a minor shout out to to todd the podcast that todd and ryan angley put out called why theory w-h-y which is pretty looks like comes out every couple weeks and why theory brings continental philosophy and psychoanalytic theory together to examine cultural phenomenon i think i first heard about todd mcgowan through a philosopher and writer and I guess associate professor in Baltimore now, uh, Tad DeLay, who we had on the show, I think last year for the first time, who has also mm-hmm. written all a bunch of interesting things. So yeah, so yeah, the history of, so I guess the, the background of this episode was you reached out to me on Friday to see if you can come on and talk, and we figured why not? So we were, we were gonna have you on here to ask you to get into the real deep shit, the real big questions. So uh, Jacob, unless you have any starting questions, I have, I have the first one, the first very dramatic question I need to ask. Is the question what happened? Because well, that's my question. Not yet. No, the question is, like, the most important question at the current moment is, Doug, what did you think about Dune? Oh, I thought it was kind of beige. And it was kind of long, it seemed to me. But there were aspects of it that I thought were beautiful. Overall, though, I would say that when I saw Dune, my mind was not as focused on the movie as it might should have been. So my impressions of Dune are perhaps only half-baked. But I, I would say I, I did not find the characters to be easy to identify with, or and the, nor did I find the plot to be particularly riveting, but not difficult to follow. And But it was beautiful, like cinematography. It was a, a, a gorgeous movie, even if it was a little beige. I think I liked Blade Runner 2049 a bit more than I liked Dune. Right. I kind of wish that they, in fact, we even talked about this over on, with, with some other friends over on, on Forrest YouTube show called Movie Night Extravaganza that I made an appearance on last week that I had wished that they had brought the, uh, much more, I think even, even though Hans Zimmer did the music for 2049 too, I wish that they had brought far more, like, like more of an analog synth vibe to the music for, for the film. As I remember thinking that I wasn't too impressed with the Dune music, even though the sound design was top notch. Jacob, do you have any opinions on this uh, important topic? I was wondering what both of you think of it as far as its politics, actually, because there's this absolutely obnoxious quote that I despise, which is satire requires a clarity of purpose and target, lest it be mistaken for and contribute to that which it intends to criticize. And I think you can make a fairly compelling case that Dune is actually precisely that sort of text. A satirical satire? A satirical text or just kind of, or... I think Dune is very much a commentary on the concept of the Messiah, and the later books in particular really expand on this and explain that what happened in Dune is not a good thing. Right, okay. And that it is fundamentally tragic what happens to Paul and what is going to happen to the universe once Paul accomplishes his goals. Uh, well, and I, so I, I didn't get – I've not read Dune, the book. I, should, I shouldn't confess that, but I haven't. And I did not get that from the movie. That, I think the, the movie has little sort of uh, tidbits here and there leaning into it. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they – make that a bit more clear in the second film but he he does have that horrifying prophetic vision when they're in the desert where he talks about the the you know 
the, the blood that is going to be spilled and the, the you know shrine that is built at the place where his father's skull is kept and that is a you know the the original line explicitly refers to as a the original line explicitly refers to a, j, a jihad yeah Mahdib's jihad yeah. which they yeah, deliberately cut they, i think they prettied that up for the for the film but there there is the impression that basically something very very bad is coming down the road so, yeah um, but i mean the, the film is sort of in, uh, the film and the book are both well i, I can't comment on the film entirely because we've only seen half of the film so far right. but the book is very much intended as a meditation on and a critique of this concept of the messiah the chosen one the authority figure the, this person who through their power basically moves everything around them and the implications of that and specifically the dangers of that right and it, i i feel like a lot of people have missed that and i guess uh, doug you missed that and I think in the film, again, it is, I think, better hidden. But is, does that mean that Dune is a bad movie because of that? Does that mean it's a bad book because of that? I, I personally don't think so, but I have never liked that quotation. So reasonable minds can differ here. So is, is it more of a thing of, like, kind of pushing back against the usual, well, kind of the bog standard social media you know hypercharged idea that any any representation without explicit condemnation must be encouragement and or yeah, I think that's definitely a part of what I'm saying. Yeah, because I think that's I think that is that's the uh, that's the fun thing of that social media psychosis can can you know kind of like the like the low grade just reactionary like n- like not really wanting to even like interact with or even or even read you know read into any of the stuff is just kind of um you know this must be bad and you know then and and also you'll see plenty of things that were much more like this must be bad therefore by insinuation you know all the people who really enjoy this bad thing must also be bad or morally suspect or something yeah well i guess breaking bad is fascist now so i've got to stand my toes Breaking Bad is fascist? That's the news, yeah, straight from Twitter.com. Oh, really? Wh- yep. How did this get discovered? There's people doing, you know, very thoughtful analysis and then posting about it. Twitter, okay. Twitter psychosis, in other words. Okay. The, huh. Yeah, the, the, I guess the, the moral to be taken from all this, and especially for you, for you young podcasters in the, uh, in the listening audience out there, never completely quit your day job beca- and be an online media creature because it completely will, you know, detether you from all grounding and, you know, realistic human interaction. You know, it's like if you, be, you become like you, uh, the, it's like media creatures too detached to become either annoying cranks or if they become extremely successful and too detached and like big and become like big stars, you become like Bono and nobody wants that. Anyway, so, okay. With, so now with Speaking of that, let's back to Doug who yeah. had a, a completely online, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, career right so so yeah it was to say do you think do you say do you think that your that your choices for how to promote the the cha- you know the various media out, output and channel were probably the best considered ones given the history of the last 12 months well i'm sorry you're gonna be have to be more specific because there are different ways to interpret that question was I mean, it was I, <laughs> I mean, was it was it was it was it worthwhile to 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 pick fights with folks to push ben's book yes okay Okay, I mean, because that, or no, but that had nothing to do with what the outcome has been recently. Like, that has nothing to do with why Watkins fought John Hub Publishing. It has nothing to do with the, the way that the Watkins is taking the YouTube channel and the Patreon. It has nothing to do with the fact that I'm starting a new company. That had, like, nothing to, it really has nothing to do with anything. It just happened to happen. I got ratioed. Some people on Twitter got mad at me, and that happened, and then this other thing happened, and they're not connected. Ah. So, so... Do I think that that is a good way to push Ben Burgess's book? No, it didn't work. People didn't buy the book because of so no. Okay. It was a bad way to do it. But do I think that I did something morally offensive by trying to? Uh, no, I don't. All right. But I actually do. I did actually think that Dave Chappelle's co- comedy special was both funny and an attempt to try to overcome. I mean, not, you know, not a, not a successful one, obviously, but an attempt to try to overcome the animosity that he was facing and that he felt sometimes himself between like the comedians and trans uh, activists, say, or transgender people. I 
you know, I know the different smart people can differ about how to interpret that that special, but uh, I definitely thought that the reaction to him was not helpful. To try to cancel the literally cancel the special was not a particularly a good look, except on Twitter. With that aside, I kind of, I think I agreed with Jake Flores' take about the the if nothing else the the tone deafness of of the approach on that special. Though I will say I have. God, I haven't seen. I'm trying to think of. I think of. I think I saw the. I saw the the, the his special that he put out. La, I think early so in the you're, uprising. You're talking about the, about the closer, and you haven't seen it. Right. So, so you don't know if it was tone deaf or not because you haven't seen it. I've seen it. And did you think it was? Well, yeah, but I think that was by design, right? Like, I mean, that's a part of his style, which is that he's intentionally tone deaf and he's sort of saying things that are deliberately, you know outrageous and unacceptable and that's part of the joke which is that he is doing this you know he's playing this sort of uh, psychological loose cannon that's you know sort of saying the things that you know we think but we don't actually want to say in public right i mean that's sort of a classic comedian bit yeah i think and he kind of dances in and out of that but you know i mean there's definitely you know a, a, a lot of material where he talks about like you know and then and then i hit this bitch and and i and, and there, he goes right. into that for a while and he's like well not really but and right. uh, yeah i mean of course it's tone deaf that's 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 the bit i guess i mean if 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 that's the bit then it hits the tone for it's it you know i think if tone deaf is being like if you're playing a musical instrument and you're tone deaf you're going to not hit the notes and he's hitting the notes Right. One thing I shouldn't say so much tone deaf as something that Jake said, which is much more like he seemed to be litigating stuff from like like five or six years ago from from being detached. But that that being said, let us switch back to because that's a that topic is is not only been beaten up, that's a whole other that's a whole topic for a whole other episode. The what's okay? Well, why did the purchase of of the publishing thing happen now? Oh, I don't know. I don't know exactly. I, my best guess is that that John Hunt d- at sixty nine decided it was time, really, really was time for him to to retire. Sensible. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's really it. I mean, there were there were probably other. I mean, we were making good money during the pandemic. The all the imprints were doing better, and then as things started to loosen up, people started to buy a little bit fewer books, you know, they bought fewer books. And so while all of our profit margins were okay, you know, we're still making money, we're still selling books, we weren't falling off the cliff. It did decline a little bit. The growth slowed, or actually we, we, we stepped back a little bit. So that might have been a factor. What I'm wondering is, how was the timing or, or around that the same as like a lot of people who put out left media f- sound found out like that once the election happened that everybody in like and especially once Trump was out of there like a lot of people I think uh, not that everything started drying up but definitely a lot of engagement with uh, with pol- anything like political facing media started dr- uh, going down. Or started yeah. to, to, that, that, I mean, that happened to zero books to an extent, but not not drastically. But I mean, I would say that we were doing really well in the last couple of years, and and especially during the pandemic. And then we stepped back to kind of just doing pretty well or, and well. And like uh, like there was a month where one of the other imprints actually made more money than zero books for the, and that had not happened in literally years that any other imprint made more money in a month. Hmm. And zero books did so but it was like by a couple hundred dollars it was not weird and it and it had had a very exceptionally good month but nonetheless or you know it and it, and actually trevor who ran that imprint had really done a lot of work to grow that imprint it had been uh, kind of an up-and-coming it was like he was on my heels a lot and i kept jumping ahead but we had a friendly competition going as to who was going to be the the number one imprint i was determined to make sure it was zero gotcha but yeah but no it did it i don't think it had to do really even with that i think it really had to do but i don't know but I, the official line is john hunt decided to retire and you know he had sold 28 percent of the company to watkins like in 2019 so they were on their way to buying him out it was going to happen eventually Okay. Can you offer a little bit of background for most of the people listening who don't know who Watkins is, or like what? Like, are they just like a pub? Or all least- I know about Watkins is that they they publish, a, I guess, a, a variety of occult New Age books, and they also publish an imprint called Repeater. Right. And I don't really actually know much about what Repeater has published in the last six years because after I took over Zero Books, I did not pay attention to what they 
published. So, but they, I, my understanding is that they published. I know they published some, like a big book of Mark Fisher's blog posts, and that's all I know that they published in the last six years. Yeah, I know they. I had I bought a couple of Mark Fisher books from them, and also a couple of Aaron Leonard's kind of histories of the oh, left. Oh yeah, Aaron Leonard. They did publish his. Okay, who really wrote a good book on 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 the infiltrate the way the FBI infiltrated the Maoist movement and. I interviewed him and I would have wanted him to publish his next book with us, but he had had a bad time with John Hunt Publishing's copy editors and things. Didn't, and that had happened like while the, the old team was leaving and I was coming in and I hadn't. Yeah, I was brand new. And anyway, he didn't. He went off to repeater, and I, I, I bet his the book he did after that was good. Yeah, the, the next one. I would have said, yeah, I did enjoy Heavy Radicals, although the copy edit, at one point, some of the copy editing choices really did make me want to get my red pencil. Just yeah, I know. I mean, look, it, 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 we never fully solved the problem, but we did get it. it we did get better. But, I, you know, they started. It, here's the thing. Like, I'm starting a, a publishing company now, right? And I'm running profit and loss reports on each title, projecting sales. Looking at the how much you know how much each book will cost to produce, and what you want to do with something like copy editing or book design is keep the cost down. That means keeping the hours down, because the more hours you put into each book, the more books you have to sell, and the and, and the distributors and bookstores take sixty percent of every sale, and you know then you have royalties on top of that. The profit margins are, if you're lucky, ten percent. If you're doing really well. And so when you're not a big corporation, but you're actually does, it does matter how many copies you sell. You're looking for those profit margins from book sales. There's a tendency to skimp cut corners. My hope is that I'm not going to have to, and I'm not going to have to, because when we put out our books, each book is going to be aimed at selling well, like 3000 copies or more. And that means each book will be worthy of investment of time and money and, and, and you know energy and publicity and it, it also means that we won't be trying to get lots and lots of books through one or two copy editors in really a small amount of time we're going to have our copy editors really focus on each book because they're one a month or will come out for six months starting in like may or june Gotcha. Jacob, you uh, you have, well, I'm guessing you at least have dipped a toe in uh, your, your own form of media production. Have, have, uh, in in your exploits, have you ever had to encounter like any sort of in, like stuff like that on the cost end? I mean, people are always trying to cut corners. It's and it, with as far as publishing fiction goes, like on Amazon and stuff, like it's generally expected that you're going to find a lot of errors. I mean, people just sort of accept it as a cost of if you're, you know, reading independent books, they're not going to receive the yeah, same but, but zero attention book, that a major publisher would have. Right. Zero Books was not meant to be like an indie, like just the same as self-publishing, though. So, you know, it did. Right. We, we should have we, we, we should have done better than we did. And we did start to do better. Like by the time Against the Web came out, there was a real effort being put into make sure these things were properly copy edited and and i don't know if we succeeded or not but there were no complaints i heard of ben burgess's book give them an argument also was well was copy edited well and i think after that those books and you know what happened was kill normies sort of got the whole imprint to turn a corner we were able to predict at least somewhat when books would sell and know a little bit you know okay this was going to sell at least a thousand copies and we would be right this one's going to sell 3,000 copies, and we'd be right. You know, and, and also, no one's, we were just sort of thrown out up against the wall, and, you know, really what we ought to have done, when I look back on it, what I ought to have done was publish less than we did, even in the end. But, anyway. Lessons learned the hard way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Also, well, well, and I, I should mention that this isn't something that's necessarily unique to independent or self-publishing either. I mean, the trend across publishing for the last few decades actually has been that you know they're attempting to maximize profits so they cut corners wherever they can and you know the idea of what an editor does has transformed dramatically from where it was you know 50 years ago yeah i want to go back to being more like when i was at zero books i was only very rarely actually an editor I was I was I picked books, but I didn't edit the copy editors edited most of the time. There were a few exceptions though, and one of them was against the web, and even more so, give them an argument, and and you know, and I'm sure that from the perspective of a of an old school editor, even that was pretty light. But it was the time where I actually sat down and 
gave notes on books and said we need to restructure this and that kind of thing. But I want to do that even more at, at uh, Diet Soap Books, I guess is what we're calling it. So it was a back and forth on the name. There, the other title, the, the other name was going to be Sublation Books, like sort of half wish that that had won, but Diet Soap won. So. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I can. I can see both. Yeah. The uh, here's a uh, here's a question you don't necessarily have to answer if you don't want. I can always cut it because you mentioned Kill on Army. What do you think happened to Nagel? Oh, I I can't I can't say for sure. Like on the one hand, I think Kill on Army was a good book. I still stand by that book. I think she has some real insights there. And I also would say that I don't know to the extent that she, uh, look what happened was she became sick of the left and that. In a way that I can relate to at times, but which ultimately was not helpful. And because it stopped her from thinking critically about her own work and being able to hear real arguments and criticism. And she, and instead, she started to decide to go on to right-wing podcasts. I don't know if she considers herself right-wing or not, but, you know, to, to because her focus became criticizing the, the left in any which way, not, uh, you know, and without, I think, enough reflection. And, you know, there's this post-left movement out there that's small. I, say, I don't know if I'd call it a movement so much as a as like a shared branding exercise. Yeah, fair, fair. So, right, you're right. So there's this post-left group of people out there. And she's sort of, a, I guess, vaguely aligned with it. And I can, I can even sympathize with the desire to get beyond the problems and illnesses that calls itself the left right now. But you can't abandon the principles of the left. You can't abandon the aims of the left yeah yeah the, i think that yeah that was the, the strange thing is at a certain point it's it's almost like <laughs> i just um it just keeps coming back to me about because i think part of it was i read tony wilson's book about factory records and new order and joy division i think the, uh, the book that he published a few years before he died way back when and he in the book he actually talks about how well he claims to at least that even when new order were at their height and like the hacienda was an uh, was an ongoing operation in manchester that like he never fully quit his job as a his day job as a tv guy just to at mm -hmm. least you know at some point you know it's kind of it's like the old thing of you know you want at least you need to be you need to have just at least a little bit of your labor alienated just to keep your uh, your head on straight and to keep connected because otherwise you uh, you get lost but there's something I think and I've seen it I think part of the there's also kind of you know just the I don't know personal opinion but like the one of the downsides of kind of the research, whatever this resurgent interest in, in left politics is coming out of the particular media culture that is Brooklyn, New York, was probably not the most healthy of environments just because of, I mean, yeah, it's a huge, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a huge city, but there is, there's kind of like, you know, just because like there, the amount of, the, the kind of people and the kind of media production that goes on there screws with people's minds to the, and that and, Especially when you're on social media and the fire hose of sentiment that brings can just again it's like Twitter psychosis just completely warps you from everything. Yeah, I I feel as though well my ratioing on on the Dave Chappelle thing taught me something important, which is that you can be ratioed on Twitter and it doesn't really mean anything. Like it uh, so like there's a that there's there is what people believe on Twitter and how they feel on Twitter. And then there's like other pockets of culture, even online, and it doesn't, and they're not the same. Like you, you go on Reddit, it's a completely different group of people and different uh, ethos than Twitter. And if you go on, I don't know, YouTube, it's completely different than Reddit. And it, it's just everyone, there's everyone's in their little silos. So yeah, I agree with you that it's important to stay grounded and connected to some sort of real, real world. Although I don't know, I've succeeded or not. I don't think I have. <laughs> You know, I, I, everything's online for me, even the dating world now. Yeah, I gotta get out of the house. And that's what I said. Yeah. If you, when even with even with starting a new <laughs> starting a, a new publishing company, get yourself at least a a small office, not on your immediate premises, just so that you have to go to place. You actually have to go from from home place to workplace, just to so that you, otherwise you can. Like I don't know. I know folks who kind of get uh, trapped. In the in the the ease in the womb of just kind of of like hey I, I can do everything out of this room right here and it just kind of I don't know it's like for as easy and convenient as it, as it can be I think it does skew it, it skews things yeah when Doug when did you first get online or, or first use a modem first use a modem yeah 1983 
Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, ni- yeah. I got my uh, I got my first one in 1990, and it's like it's one of those things that I always wondered of that. It's 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 like a bit of a weird bit of wi- I don't know if you could call this wisdom or experience or whatever, but it's kind of a thing where I think that we and who knows how many decades more this is really gonna take for, for this to become widely understood. Of I still don't think a lot of people, younger folks especially who grew up with stuff or at least popularly. Like no one really understands the the difference between you know online expression versus public expression, and that one is much more of an internal or interior expression versus you know you know it's like you'll you'll type shit into a, into a box that you you know you would never actually utter in you know in within earshot of any other person lest you might get a smack. Right. Yeah. Although I discovered that the internet. Is considered public, <laughs> so you know what's considered um, public. But it's I don't I think I think just the way that we we think about it and in the way that we you know that people express themselves on it is much more like I don't know what it's it's like you know the non hyperbolic sentiment doesn't get expressed online even though it might get expressed in real life. Right, that's true. Um, so, do you guys want to talk about the dispute? The, I mean, I want to, I got to be careful here, but between Watkins and myself, I got. Yeah, I figured you guys would. Be, uh, I thought you guys might be here to bring it up, but I want to bring. I guess I, okay. Well, I was. I was um, yeah, no, I, 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 I'm down. But I mean, to be fair, Jeremy is easily distracted. So, I, I, I think. Why don't I kick this off? Because I think I don't know what's going on, and I don't really read a lot of zero book stuff because you don't publish, com- you didn't publish comic books, as far as I know. So, uh, although we might win the new place, but go ahead. All right. Well, you've got my attention. Uh, so, what was the what was the setup of zero books? Like, you know, what was who was I? You were I, I was in a, a position of I was a freelance publishing manager. Okay. So my job was to find readers who would help me select the books, and I got them on board. And my job was to help commission the books and you know, bring writers in. And my job was also, I was the publishing manager and the publicist for all the titles. So I did the, all the publicity for all the books, and I, did the, I, I basically commissioned the books and decided what was going to get published. And I used my podcast to do both things. It's not not always very successful. Okay, like my but goal you were was, you were an employee. I was an not an employee. No, I was not. Not an okay. I was a freelance uh, worker, actually filing a Schedule C, you know, in, on my taxes. So I was self-employed. I was not an employee of John Hunt Publishing. Interesting. Okay, that's important yeah. uh, in a way. Although at this point, it's not because I should say at the outset. I have relinquished all of my rights in the process and threatened her. But both sides had lawyers. Let's put it this way. There was a dispute. Both of us had lawyers, and I agreed in the end to relinquish all claims to the content I created and the channels I created in an effort to settle that uh, dispute and move on. Okay, so who, who owned and controlled Zero Books? Zero Books, the actual imprint? Yeah. Um, that was John Hunt. John Hunt owned all the books and all the rights to the books and and the logo and the trademark gotcha and you said that he had already sort of started to step back from his ownership in 2019 yeah. he okay. stepped back as a man as a, a head of it and had dominic running the company and so this manager was running the company he was re- like half retired already but then he decided he wanted to sell the company okay recently what what, what was your relationship with dominic like it was good dominic liked me we got along okay. Although, here's what I'll, I will say this. I think I can say this. When I started at, at the company, I was brought in by someone else who was a manager named Trevor. Trevor's the guy who ended up competing with me and doing the Pagan imprint. I mentioned him earlier. He's a nice guy, too. And he brought me in. And, and I was brought in after the people who run Repeater left. They had left in a huff. They were really angry at John Hunt. And I can see, you know, some, like, some of the things we talked about, the problems with copy editing and so on had made authors angry and they didn't like it and so they left and this was like 2014 and this is 20 for the end of 2014 okay and when they left john they expected i think to be able to purchase the imprint from john hunt and take it with them somewhere else and hunt didn't want to sell it or maybe i don't know the details there but they were disappointed that they couldn't bring the imprint with them and they felt they had built something really great, and now it had been stolen from them. 
after they left is sort of I, I feel how they they felt thought about it. So they didn't want anyone to run the imprint after they left. And like when he tried to hire someone in the UK in London to run it, they apparently you know gave him enough trouble either online or I don't know where, but they gave that person who they originally hired enough trouble that that person quit in two days. I had applied for the job. Jeez. And I got hired like this. Trevor said, I, we were wondering if you might want to be the publishing manager. I suppose you wouldn't want to. <laughs> that, was, that was how he asked me. It sounds very and English. I, and I said, no, I'll, I'll take it for sure. I'd definitely like to do that. And I didn't know the people who left to become repeater. I didn't really... I had submitted a book to them, and they had accepted it, and that was it. That was my full extent of my relationship with, with Zero Books until that point. But I had been <clears throat> recommended to John Hunt by David Blacker, who had published a book, a couple, well, at least one book with them already. And he was a uh, philosophy professor, and he'd been on my podcast a few times. And so when I, when I talked to Trevor, I said, look, Trevor, I will take the job, but here's how I want it to go. I want you to pay me a bit more than you normally would and what you're offering, because I want you to pay me to use my podcast to promote your books. I have a podcast, it's fairly popular, you should pay me to use that as part of my publicity budget, and you should pay me a little bit more. And, and he said, sure, we'll do that. And then I said, great, so what do I need to sign? And he said, you don't have to sign anything, you are a freelancer. And then later in another conversation, it came up again, he said, look, you have the rights to your podcast. We're not buying the rights, but we'll pay you to use the podcast to promote our books. So that's how I got started at, at John Hunt Publishing and Zero Books. Gotcha. Where did the where did the where did the YouTube channel come from? I decided it would be I worked for Wisecrack as in freelancer as well. You know the the YouTube channel Wisecrack? Yeah. They pay pretty well actually. They like pay five hundred dollars a script. And I wrote a couple of scripts for them. But after a couple of scripts that they liked, a couple more they didn't. They were too they were too difficult or they were too clear or they were too left wing. It probably was all of the above, but mostly the two Marxists is what I'm thinking now. So I kind of got frustrated. They wouldn't take, they would like keep me around, but they wouldn't pay me or publish anything. It was getting to be, although I like Jared. So I thought to myself, damn it, they're not going to publish my scripts on their wisecrack. I'll just start, I'll start my own. I've got my, I've got this, I do this already with the podcast for Zero Books. I should start a YouTube channel for Zero Books. And I thought, but how am I going to get the time and to do it and get paid to do it? And what we were doing at that point was we were emailing on every book, one at a time, copy and paste, copy the email in, you change the name at the top, you change the, the name of the company or the podcast or the magazine that you're sending it to, and then you mail it out manually so that it will be more personal. But of course it isn't because it's just copy and paste. And I looked up a way to do that automatically, cheaply. And I used Google Sheets to automate the emails. So rather than taking six hours to send 100 emails or whatever, or take a lot of t a long time and get paid by the hour to do that, I automated that and I spent those hours to and, and build, create the YouTube channel, which was a smart move because the YouTube channel grew the reach of and the notoriety of, of Zero Books quite a, I think quite a lot. I think it made a difference. But I think that without the YouTube channel, we might not have gotten Michael Brooks to be an author for us. You know, uh, mm -hmm. without the YouTube channel, I don't think Ben Burgess's book would have done nearly as well. It, so it was a worthwhile thing to build. Yeah, the multi-platform thing just seems so essential now for publishing. Right. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And and the platforms that you use to publish publicize your books or your other products, every everything you do as a publisher should make revenue at this point. There should be no marketing that is that very little marketing that you just that you pay for. Every bit of content you make should have a potential to make you revenue. That's my attitude about it. Because not a lot of revenue, but you know something. You're not losing money on on, on making YouTube. It shouldn't lose. So money. it it sounds like your relationship with everybody sort of up the chain of command was decent for the most part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wasn't super close to them, but I wasn't distant, and we were, they were very rarely upset with me, if, if you know, if ever, really. I mean, I, I may have needed to be reminded to file a book report once in a while, or um, I sometimes would get overwhelmed and disorganized, but overall, I did a good job, and the imprint made more money while I was working there. Gotcha. Mm. And so wh when did the, when did you find out about the, what's the name of the company? Revolver? Repeater. Watkins, repeater, repeater, repeater books. Yeah. yeah so what was, did you find? 
find just out like about on the twenty second of October, I got a message from Dominic that we needed to talk, and he told me that they had sold the company, and they told me that that I was no longer to take any more, that we weren't to offer any more contracts on any more books. We were to freeze our operation. Um, oh wow! So you didn't even know that this was happening. I knew it was potentially going to happen as soon as two thousand nine, late as two thousand nineteen, but I did not know it was in the works gotcha. at all. Yeah, but they were. They did tell me. Like, I think they uh, was one of the first people that they told after they had made the decision. Okay. And so, at, at the time, was your impression that it was just that they were just pausing it, or that? No, no. Then they told or... me like Peter wanted zero book, which didn't surprise me at all, right? Because they had been attacking zero books for like the last six years, not consistently, and not that I noticed a lot, but I knew that whenever they got a chance, I mean, I ended up blocking them because oh, they so were, this, this was fairly acrimonious then. Yeah, they hated the fact that anyone was running the imprint after they left. Gotcha. Let alone, you know, not doing too badly. There was a, a tweet when Mike Watson's book, The Meming of Mark Fisher, came out, which everyone at Repeater hated that book, which, you know, was not the top of my list of like most, like I had... I thought it would do well. I was surprised it did as well as it did. And the reason it did as well as it did was because how much hate it got from Repeater, which, you know, it's another ask, you know, you asked me earlier, do, does getting people angry at you on Twitter, is that a bad way to market things? Not always, but it, but sometimes. It, sometimes it's a bad way too, and sometimes it works, but it's risky. But that was not the aim at all of the memeing of Mark Fisher. It was about Adorno, and it was a continuation of the books that Mike Watson had already written for us about you know, how art and critical theory can come together to try to help create a consciousness for radical change. And anyway, they hated that book. And one of the most revealing tweets was from, I don't know, I think a guy, I forget who it was exactly, but one of their authors or one of their staff members tweeted, there was a time when we worried, really, that the New Zero books was cooler than we were. But now that we see this book, that worry is put to bed. <laughs> and, yeah, there was, yeah, there was a lot of, like, weird... Especially like some of the announcements when the the, the changeover was happening, it was like, like weird, like, like I don't know, it's like weird, petty, it's like UK culture, you know. It's like this kind of this sounds like I some sort of. What, if I had worried about them being more like cooler than I was, I would have never gotten out of bed because they're clearly cooler than I am. The guy has a nice sweater. He's he lives in uh, London or outside of London. He's got a better accent than I do. I'm an ugly American. I I I don't I, I so. The fact that they were ever concerned that I was cooler than they were, uh, wow! I was like, put put that in my bucket list or something. I that was something I didn't expect. And so, yeah, add that <laughs> add that to your LinkedIn listings, I guess. Yeah, right. So yeah, so but that was sort of the attitude about zero books. I think. Look, I get it in a way because it's a cool thing. It was a cool imprint. They had done good stuff. I got, and I got to play with it and do make it a little different and make it my own. It's sort of like, you know, The Tonight Show, right? You, who gets to be the host of The Tonight Show? And, you know, and you've made it, and then like, imagine you're The Tonight Show, like you're Conan O'Brien or someone, you know, and you, you or, 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 I don't know, you leave the show and you think it's going to stop without you and it continues with some new guy. And, you know, maybe you hate that guy. I don't blame you. Makes sense, but, yeah. And I'm going to be in that position now because they've taken the YouTube channel and put somebody else up on it on my platform. And, you know, uh, be, well, my goal is to not watch, <laughs> to just, just go on with what I'm doing on my own very small channel now. But, yeah, so that was the other thing about the purchase was apparently, despite the fact that I was a freelancer and hadn't ever signed over any rights to anything, they had sold the company as as and these things were considered assets of the company and i have to say now again that i have they are assets that i have relinquished all rights channel and i do not claim any legal right to them so um. <laughs> so effectively it was all much like in comics it was all uh, work for hire stuff then huh it wasn't even that work for hire comes with a contract oh yeah you get a work for hire contract no it was word of mouth you know, they just, I invoiced them and they paid me. And if I had invoiced them and they hadn't, I would have had very little recourse. That was one of the things that I was nervous about when I took the job. It was like, they're all the way over in the UK. They're asking me to send them invoices and they'll pay me through PayPal. What if they don't? I need them, you know, like if that happened twice, I, I'm not able to buy groceries or keep the lights on, you know? So I was really nervous when I first took the job that I was being stupid, that I was maybe even all a scam or, you know, that <laughs> I would not get paid. But it turned out they paid me on the regular for six years. It was fine. But yeah, I didn't. I did not have a contract. So the, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think 
not necessarily hurt you more, but you feel more of the impact for uh, like losing control of the of the publishing or losing the YouTube channel. Oh, there's no question. This is a YouTube channel. Uh, you know, I can like look the day I maybe that's because the the day after I announced that I was no longer with John Hunt Publishing, like two people approached me offering to invest significant money into whatever I did next in publishing. So, like. And and because really I can continue on with the publishing without. I mean, there's going to be some things I have to figure out, like who's going to be the, the distributor and how do, how are we going to convince a full service distributor uh, without much of a backlist to take us on. I have some ways that we're going to do it, but you know, there's some hurdles to overcome. But I, the authors that I really want to publish, I'm going to continue to be able to publish, and hopefully even more exciting authors. Not no offense to anyone I published at zero, they're all great, but. There are some people who are big names who I'm like huge, a huge fan of that I may have the, I'm not going to say who, but there are people who I might be able to get on to our list that would be, for me, like a, I don't know, another, like a big, like a bucket list, you know, like lifelong dream kind of thing. So. Gotcha. Yeah. Also, though, like, look, I like publishing other people's work, but I'm a novelist and I write. So the stuff that went on the YouTube channel, a lot of it was stuff I wrote and a lot of it was stuff I edited and like hours and hours and hours and hours like 600 videos that i created so yeah it hurts to see it go some of it has like some of the videos have my kids in them it's just weird to see it go but i relinquish all rights to the youtube channel and to the patreon please do not sue me <laughs> so <laughs> are you gonna are are you planning on reestablishing any like ongoing crossover content with some of the folks that you would you would set up before under the old banner under under the new stuff or Wait, oh, you mean like with the this revolution and people like that? that yeah, something like that. Kind of, yeah, you know what? They're like gonna be a lifesaver right now because rather than uh, like whatever at the start, like they were coming up and they were small, and I put them on the Zero Books channel just to kind of give them a bump, and it helped a little bit apparently. Well, now I've got a really tiny channel, and they're gonna host some of my material on their channel. So that's oh, there you awesome. go. What about? That's the um, benefits. And hopefully, a couple a couple other people might do that too. I, I need to ask. Yeah, but also like yeah, I, I just interviewed Jason Miles today for an upcoming. Pascal is is actually one of the com- commissioning editors of so. Yeah, that ought to be interesting. For those yeah. of you to, uh, who few of you who don't know what we're talking about, because even though I've <laughs> been trying to like pound it into everybody's ears, there's a show out there called This Is Revolution. It is both a YouTube channel. And a well, it's a podcast, pretty much that that's they stream their shows live, and probably some of the best stuff out there since, especially if you were a, a Michael J. Brooks fan after he departed, they they put some of the best stuff out. That it's one of those ones where it's you know of like just you know funny black Gen X Marxist uh, leftist stuff. It's uh, it's astounding who they are getting the the kind of stuff they they can cover. And uh, yeah, it's like I I I keep encouraging you know recommending them to everybody. They're really good. Yeah. How did you How did you wind up getting getting uh, tipped off to them and and wanting to like reached out to me and said, Hey, do you want to come on my show? And I did, and I liked him. And so then I think like how did it come to be that I asked him on the channel? I think maybe Gene said, Hey, you should give them a slot on your sh- on your channel because you've got o- open days. And I said, Sure. Gene Bajalon, who's now a reader at Zero, I think he was the one who told me to do it. Although, maybe I came up with that idea myself. I can't remember. But, yeah, I, mean, I was glad to do it. And then I asked them to start making public dispatch, critical cut style videos. Because I wanted to, I was always aiming, like, more views, more views. And the, the streams that they gave me would get, like, five to 6,000 views. And I wanted 10,000 views per video. That was going to be the average, damn it. <laughs> we never quite got there. I mean, for a while we were close. But, yeah, I mean, the range of the views per video was something like somewhere between five and 50,000, depending on the video and now my f- numbers are like in the hundreds oh how the mighty fall <laughs> anyway anyway oh, it's early days yet yeah no it's really early yeah you, well, you just, no it's just kind of the uh, you know, I'm just flashing back to the the idiots who ran Aussie media who thought that that poem was about you know, must have been, it must have been about a really cool guy the <laughs> uh, you know OZY because why not and they like you know sure so yeah I mean one thing I should say before it goes that the pod the Patreon is doing pretty well. Like since I left, I think it's forty nine percent of the patrons have come over to the new Patreon, and that was been three days since I left. That's not bad. Shit, that's pretty good for three days. Yeah, I'm hoping that by the end of the month or sometime next month that it will be sixty percent, something like that. I expect a lot of people quit altogether in the kind of 
chaos of the moment, but it does make a big difference because people right now it's my income. I mean, it won't be forever, but it, it right now it's my income. So it does make a difference. Gotcha. All right, cool. I'm trying to think of this. There's anything we really you want missed. To, I, have, I have one other thing I could say, which is that go for to it. Be fair to them. Their argument probably was, you know, they, like I said, there was a dispute and I told you my side of it was all about how I didn't sign a contract and I was the creator their side of the dispute probably would have been, and luckily I don't. We're not going to go to court, and I, as like I said, I relinquished all rights, and this is done. But they would have probably been something about how important that brand was, about how important Zero Books was, and and how what it can it itself contributed. And what I'll say about that is that, like you know, as much as I'm looking forward to creating my own thing and creating a diet soap media, it's a silly name, but I think it's good. Zero Books was cool, and it's they could still be cool. I just you know. Wish they were a little less litigious, and that, uh, and I wish I'd asked for everything in writing. That's the, the 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 that's the take that to the bank. You know, kids, listen to me. Listen to me. Do not do work without a contract. Make sure you know what everyone thinks. The ambiguity is what brings lit- litigation. So Important, yeah, yeah, gotta get a contract. Make sure everything's in writing. And think about the terms you're signing. Don't sign everything away. There. There's probably a joke in there somewhere about the you know. The British people being more uh, litigious than the American one. That is, yeah, yeah. In this one case, well, you mean? Look, I I didn't want to go to it, it. I wanted to start my own company. I did not want to spend years duking it out over a YouTube channel. So, gotcha. I just, Jacob, did you have anything else? Yeah, I would be kind of curious to know going forward into your new media efforts. What are you taking away from your experiences with zero books that you're going to apply to what you're doing with? The main thing is the this kind of approach where you look for people who can do that kind of multiple media kind of approach. So like Todd McGowan's perfect, right? Because he has a podcast, he's written books, he could go he's got a he could go on TV and he has his own platform and he can come on ours. So you're looking for people who are good at, at talking, good at connecting with other internet uh, personalities, and who can become influencers out of with their with their titles. I know it's nasty. It sounds terrible, but that's the truth. And I just say, you know, look, I'd rather have Todd McAllen be in a whole bunch of. I pick the people I like and who I think are saying the you know really interesting things. You know, so like influencers, but. In the case of Todd McGowan, what is he influencing you to do? Think, you know, <laughs> look look past your immediate pers- what you desire and enjoy, and try to be dialectical. So, you know, he's an influencer, but he's also never going to be like have millions of followers or whatever. He's 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 niche, but anyway, does that? You made a face when I said these things. Does that sound no, terrible? I, I, just, I think I just reflexively made a face when you said influencer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we, you know, we, we, have, yeah, we haven't... What should I have said instead? Like, what's a better word? Help me out here. What, what should I call these people instead of influencer? Authors, I suppose. But see, that's not right. Cause Public intellectuals. Yeah, there you Public go. I was going to say, yeah, it's, the, yeah we should... Well, need... I want to create digital public intellectual. Okay, yeah. Gotcha. Much better. Yeah, that's at least yeah far less of a of a negative negative connotation with that. That's right. I need you on my marketing team, but I can't afford you right yet. So don't do well, anything yeah. for me without a contract. All right. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I've already got ideas. What's your NFT program? What do you got going on there? I I, I don't. I, that's that's some sort of crypto art thing. The NFT, the pictures of like Dodge and uh, Doge or. Pictures Doesn't of, like, have to be pictures. Squirrel? You can do book. You can do NFT books too. The the whole platform is wide open. Oh, about the well, damage you could do to the environment and the money you could make <laughs> at the same time. That's always a plus. I really don't know anything about NFT, but well, I, I, I'll tell you what. If, if you want to exchange has... contact information, I have about four hours I can give you on that one. <laughs> Beep. This does. This is not. This was not. This does not constitute an endorsement or a recommendation of NFT or any sort of crisp currencies. Giving the giving the mic LLC does not is not a, is not a financial uh, advice out, outlet, nor uh, should be trusted with any financial advice whatsoever. You did not hear this. We were not here. Invest yeah, in, I, in Shiba Inu. Invest in Shiba Inu. Don't tell people that. Don't tell the nice people that. That's you're just making other. You're just making the you know the some of the worst people in the world even richer through like you know effective through the effect. Someone I think somebody just described crypto as you know letting idling your car so that you can solve Sudoku puzzles. And, yeah, well, don't do it right now. The market's kind of in a downturn. Right, you know, or like ever, but. 
I, if Doug, if you have time, I got a, I got a semi-philosophy question for you. Do you find it funny at all that right-wing idiots are now try, uh, trying to expand their culture war into include in like broadside attacks on Hegel, Rousseau, and Kant? Have you seen um, this shit? What? No, I've not. I, seen oh no, it's the the people. There is a there's a. I mean, Mark Levin's American. Remember how like Mark Levin and American Marxism has like entire things like just d- dumping on Rick Rousseau. Like, wait, where the hell the fuck is this coming from? And Christopher Rufo it was like putting out shit about how CRT comes from like Hegel and Rousseau and Kant, and it's some of the most bizarre, weird. It's like I don't even call it like philosophy nerd shit. It's it's like this just. Just like, it sounds to me like they're really doing a lot to make CRT sound like profoundly important to Western culture and the Enlightenment tradition. I mean, the CRT comes from these Enlightenment humanists and you know pr- progressive philosophers. Really, uh, it sounds it sounds very Lindy. <laughs> yeah, what are they? What do they think we should do? Just all go back to reading the Bible and stop thinking? Is that basically what they're arguing? Or don't read philosophy. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, uh, yeah, I'm waiting for these idiots just to continue on and then just start talking about not just Edmund Burke, but start like repping like Demeister or some other like weird, <laughs> you know, like, like really deep, uh, deep, deep, like just you know, you know, I don't know, Dugan or Nick Land or God knows who, but yeah, but I guess that would require reading, and uh, only some of them do that. Anyway, yeah. all right. Well, then I think this has been a, a good enough of a length of a conversation for recommendations and endorsements. Do you have anything that you've been digging on lately that you would like to recommend other folks check out? If you're single, you might try Tinder. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've had a really rough year. I got divorced. I I have not been consuming like I'm. I right now across the way we're watching. Uh, old episodes of My Three Sons with Fred McMurray. Whoa, check it out, butthead. That's that guy from My Three Sons. Uh, That's Ernie from My Three Sons. See back in the doorway? Oh, yeah. That's him. That is him. (laughs) Check this out. Hey, Uncle Charlie. (laughs) Seems like a lot of work to me. (laughs) Hey, Uncle Charlie. I think I'll go put on a stupid dork outfit and go dance like I was for a while. Yeah. Hey, Uncle Charlie. <laughs> I think me and Chip are going to go dance around like a bunch of dorks. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, Uncle Charlie's like, Damn it, Ernie. I'm trying to make a cake here. Will you get out of the kitchen and quit acting like a dork? Yeah. <laughs> My three son of a bitches. <laughs> so, if you like Fred McMurray, you could check that out. I mean, I, I'm I'm way out of touch with the culture at the moment. is that on streaming or on like antenna tv or something it's, it's on dvd oh okay <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say, uh, yeah i'm surprised they you know they really should have like started out like you know viacom should have started like nick at night as a dvd imprint where they can just like package up all the show all you know like golden era nick at night like yeah. package up all these shows into you know just like a stamp on the cover I will recommend a movie. If you've never seen The Swarm that stars Michael Caine and, and Fred McMurray and Henry Fonda and a bunch of other people, you should you should definitely check it out for, just for the train crash alone. Cool. And if you want to Google it, uh, you can go on YouTube and look up The Swarm Train Crash, and it is the most amazing train crash you'll ever see. And that's it. Awesome. Gotcha. I will recommend a a comic book series that has recently wrapped up called Die, D-I-E, done by Kieran Gillen. As I think he described it as a gothic midlife crisis role-playing deconstructionist and also reconstructionist tale that mixes both Jumanji and the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. That is effectively art like by Stephanie Hans. Yeah, art by Stephanie Hans. Come on, people, we got to start mentioning the artists with these comics. That's true. I, I forgot who they are, but no, it's a, it is an it's only it's uh, put out by Image. It's only also support the Image Union. It is on it is about it's, yeah, it's only like four trades. It's only about twenty twenty issues or about four trades long, but it's pretty much about a. Um, I think the premise is effectively you have a what what would have happened had the kids from the Dungeon Dragon Dungeon and Dragon cartoon made it back to Earth and then kind of 20 odd years later got sucked back into the game that they were playing to figure out to find out what happened then. And it's kind of a it's kind of one of those things that Kieran Gillen even created his own role playing game that he posted online. Just look up like die uh, die RPG book or something like that. You can find the entire PDF. It is very good and gets into everything from 
talking about you know narrative to war games to how role how role playing games were created and why and there's more than a few uh, Tolkien and H.G. Wells references in there and even some Bronte and uh, yeah it's it's good stuff I heavily recommend it Jacob do you have anything not this week okay cool all I've right I've been consuming plenty of media but I haven't been enjoying any of it I feel like if I just <laughs> consume enough I'll be fine though. Just a little Funny. bit more. I just need one more hit. Yeah, <laughs> you're almost. Yeah, you're almost there. Doug, what are your pluggables? What am I? Uh, my pluggables with like, what? What? I what, thought I already did that with the Fred McMurray thing. Do you, do no, 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 no. What? Uh, no, what? You're no. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, wait. On oh, my YouTube channel, my Patreon. How about that? Yeah. Plug that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Patreon.com backslash diet soap. That's D I E T S O A P. Diet soap on Patreon, and then. On YouTube, it's youtube.com backslash Doug Lane. My name is spelled D-O-U-G-L-A-I-N. There's not a lot on there right now, but there's an interview with Slowboy Zizek that I did and one with Somai, no, with Bulant Somai. And he is a Turkish socio-psycho studies professor and author, and he's cool. I'm going to be putting out, hopefully tonight, a, uh, a couple of patron-only, patron well, one patron-only podcast and an interview with uh, the, for everybody. I'm going to be skipping my usual Thursday podcast because it's Thanksgiving and I'm going to Eugene. But anyway, Diet Soap on Patreon, Doug Lane on YouTube. Excellent. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay, All well, right. once again, thanks a lot for your time. Any final words? Get a contract. Get everything in writing. Get it. For- and oh, I also and I legally re- relinquish all rights to my YouTube channel and the former Patreon. I claim those rights. Nope. No, no, it's starting all over again. <laughs> You're going to leave us on a cliffhanger. All right. Well, anyway, uh, thank you, Doug. Thanks for uh, for uh, for chatting on this uh, Monday night. Yeah. All right. Watch the skies. 